Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down, and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Alrighty. Hey, guess what? We're in the book of James. That's right. Go ahead and turn there because we're going to read our context once again as we take a look at uh, what's going on here in our second acid test from the book of James. Okay. Uh, James chapter one. And uh, let's go ahead and turn there and grab the context. And then, uh, man, I'm starting to do a little bit of pre-research on the uh, third acid test. And uh, man, just it's like, man, this is common sense. Why didn't we ever talk about this before? All these different ways that you can know that, hey, man, somebody might be a phony uh, in the midst of you, okay, is what he's talking about there. But uh, Lord willing, we'll get to that maybe a week after next. We'll see uh, how it goes there. James chapter 1, let's grab the context here. Of course, we saw the first acid test was trials. The second one is temptations, and that's what we're at now. Let's grab the full context at uh, verse 13. He says, now, when tempted, no one should say what? God is tempting me. Can you believe that? He says, for, for, come on, God can't be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, how? By his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, that gives birth to death. He says, don't be deceived. My dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose, this is, ah, we'll do the next one. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all that he created. Again, as we've seen, the, the whole theme of the book of James is it is an acid test that's going on here. The timing of this book, it's the first book in the New Testament as far as we can uh, ascertain. And uh, so as the church is finally going out into the world, they're being dispersed. The last thing God wants is false Christians giving out a false gospel and a false representation of the true, the one and only Jesus. Amen? And so he starts putting out this book to the early church to, hey, listen, here's how to, if you will, spot and here's how so that you can know yourself. That, did you know just sitting in a pew doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a hen house makes you a chicken? You've got to be born again, okay? And there's some telltale signs, okay? We're not saved by our works, but after you get saved, and when you get saved, you're immediately indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And He begins to do a work. He doesn't just seal you for your day of redemption. Praise God. Anybody glad? 
Okay, but he begins to work on you from the inside out. And so your life begins to change. Now, different rates, different speeds. Okay, but it begins to change. And he says, listen, if you don't see a change in this one, and that first acid test was trials. How do you handle your trials? If you literally say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but you come across some hard times and you walk away from Jesus Christ, and I mean truly walk away, you know, I become an atheist or whatever. The Bible says, listen, you didn't lose your salvation. You were never saved in the first place. Once again, 1 John 2 says, the reason why they went out from us is because they never belonged to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that they didn't belong to us, okay? The trials came to show what God already saw. You can fool man, but you can't fool God. The trial brought out, you failed the test now the second one being seen that he's there dealing with the phony uh believers in the church is not just trials and that's what we've been on is temptations and and in other words how do you handle this topic sin okay your attitude towards sin okay uh is a huge indicator of your spiritual uh reality okay and that's what we've been dealing with and and again what we saw is he says don't you don't let anyone absolutely no one on planet earth don't you dare have the audacity to say god is tempting me why? Because is he going to say in verse 17? Because listen, God is holy. He's no shifting shadows. There's no nothing in darkness. What? Are you crazy? Okay. God does test as we saw. And that's the theme of this book. It's an acid test. Testing is not bad. You might have thought your teachers were evil giving you a test in school, but the test was there for you to see how well you're doing, to see you succeed, to see you grow, to see something good. Okay. God tests, but he does not tempt. To tempt is evil, okay? And you would basically be saying that God delights in evil because he's actually tempting someone to do it. That's blasphemy. He says, don't do that, okay? And then he begins to tell us, well, where's, where's this coming from? And he says, as we saw last time, this is your own evil desire. This is coming from the old you, the old man, the flesh, the scripture calls it about. It's not the real you. The real us is created in Jesus Christ. We love him. We long to be with him. We want to obey him. We want to please him. But the old Jew is still there whispering to do this, to do evil. And what we saw last week is he uses some hunting terms. Remember that? He uses some fishing terms. The whole thing is he's out there trying to get you to take the bait to bang, get you with the trap. So ultimately you can give birth to sin. Okay, it's what he's talking about. Now, where we left off last time, he said the issue is this. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And what I saw is that's a tie-in verse. It pulls us back to verse 15, as well as it pulls us back forward to 17 through 18. Okay, and the 15 says you need to understand the process of sin. This is how it works. It's coming from the evil desires in you. And your worst enemy is the old Jew. As well as the world and the evil one. And he's out there hunting you. He's baiting you. Trying to get you have to understand how this process works. Why? Because what's the whole theme of this book? It's not just in your trials. Because Christians we go through trials right? It's your attitude as we saw. Continual joy the Greek says. Is that when we go through tri trials with joy as a Christian. Then when you have a joyful dispossession about you. That's a great witness out in the world right? I mean, when you see somebody go through some hard times and they still got a good attitude, it's like, wow, can I have what you've got? Now, we saw with the temptation when you're out there in the world, okay, not just with trials, with a joyful attitude, when you're out there in the world living a holy life and you talk about mankind's biggest dilemma is God is holy, we are not, you're separated from him, you're in a heap of trouble, kiss. Okay, but if you're living just as sinful and rotten as everybody else, what kind of a duplicit message are you sending? 
And so, again, this is the purpose. We need to understand, don't be deceived. Where this uh, temptation is coming from. It's not from God. Don't blame other people. Don't blame God. It's the old man, this wicked world system and the devil who's out to get you so that you can live an unholy life and live a duplicit life as you try to share the gospel with other people. Okay? That's the theme of this book. So we already saw, okay, then let's not be deceived. Before we move on to verse 17 and 18 and take a look at what else he's talking about, don't be deceived. All right, let's understand this process of sin. And that's where we left off last time, all right? How is this working? How does this interplay work? Uh, How are we tempted to live unholy lives? We saw where temptation comes from, the world, the flesh, the devil. The second thing, how it works. It works with your mind, your will, your emotions. We broke that down. How does it even get into your mind in the first place? It's conceived, the Greek says there, in the text there. Uh, It enters through your mind, through your eyes and your ears, so you better pay attention to that. How does it appeal to us? The same trick he used back in Genesis chapter 3, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And when does it come? He's an opportunist. He comes and gets you when you're most vulnerable, and he also comes and gets you when you're least resistant, okay? He doesn't always, you know, if you got the armor of God on, he doesn't come at the strongest points. Oh, I'm going to hit you. No, he looks for that little crack, that little chink, and he drives a knife in there and wedges until it gets in. He looks for the path of least resistance. Now, we're going to talk about today, all right, then how do you win over it? Okay, so that's how it happens. That's how it's conceived. That's how the interplay works. Don't be deceived about this, okay? Let's understand how in the world do you win over it? Anybody... Want to know that? Sure, Pastor, really? <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for that. Y- yeah. We've, <laughs> that's the whole point. I don't want to know just when it comes and, and what the enemy's tactics. I want to know how to win. right? Because I want to be that holy example for Jesus. I want to shine. Because the world's tempted just like you and I, right? Just like they go through trials just like you and I. And when we shine and live a holy life in the midst of that, there's hope for them. Because you know what? Sin destroys Sin ruins people's lives. As Christians, when we live holy lives, we experience the benefits of that. And then we could be a walking advertisement saying, there's hope, there's a way out of this mess. It's Jesus, right? I'm telling you, this thing isn't just for our own good. This acid test, the theme of this book is when we're out there in the world, let's be those consistent, joyful, holy advertisements for God, right? And so that's what James is talking about. The first way that I see in the scripture that we win over this battle with temptation is the first one uh, is you need to stay sharp. Okay, you need to stay sharp. The scripture talks about this over and over again. Open your Bibles to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And let's take a look at this. Matthew, of course, was written by Matthew. You guys are on the ball. Matthew 26, verse 40. And let's take a look at the context here. And uh, let's take a look here. Matthew 26. Verse 40, of course, we're dealing with the scene with the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, the account here. And, uh, and of course, you guys know the account that Jesus was going there before uh, his crucifixion. He's praying out to God. He's pouring out his heart to God. And then he comes back to his disciples. And man, they, those guys were so on top of it. They were so alert. Uh, they understood the battle that was going on, the spiritual war that was being waged around them. I mean, they were up having uh, prayer vigils. Uh, they had the coffee piping hot. Man, they were going to have an all-nighter with Jesus. They were right there, right beside him. And Yeah, wrong Bible. Uh, let's, let's see what was really going on. Then he returned to his disciples, Jesus, and he found them what? <laughs> Sleeping. Could you men not keep what? what? What's the word there? Keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. And he says again, so here's what you need to do. I can't believe you guys. What are you doing? Watch and 
Pray. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. No, what's the benefit? What's one of the benefits? Watch and pray. What's he say? So that you will not fall into temptation. Here's the problem. The spirit, the new you, the new man we saw with the uh, diagrams is willing. Of course, you want to please God. But what's the problem? The body is weak. The old man. Okay, he's pulling you in a whole different direction. Okay, and this is what I see in the scripture. I don't know how many times. And this is just, of course, the account of Jesus in the scripture. And he uses words like this. This is awesome. Stay sharp. Okay, Jesus used also uh, the phrase there, keep watch. The scripture also uses this attitude of alert, stay alert. All right, and you need to understand that you're in a spiritual battle. The Christian life is not a cakewalk. As we saw before, the enemy never stops. He will never stop trying to get you to sin, period, let alone sin against God. Okay, the whole time you're here on earth. And so he says, you need to understand this process. You need to understand this is a battleground. You need to to keep alert. You need to keep watch. And you need to be praying. You need to have your mind. When you pray, where's your mind? On On the things of God. Your mind, right? And where does the process of temptation start? In the mind. So if your mind is not on the things of God, that's just an open opportunity for the enemy to come in. If you walk around in life not expecting the enemy is out to get you, then you're lollygagging around. The, the, the analogy that I've used several times before that I see in Scripture, certainly here from Jesus, but also with Peter and other passages uh, throughout the Scripture, is, is this stay alert, keep watch, is, is the, the classic analogy of a guy walking through the jungles uh, in Vietnam. And he's on patrol. And you're on patrol and you always have to be careful. You always have to be quiet. You always have to be alert of your surroundings because somebody's out there, a sniper, to get you. Right? Right? Now what is, and if so, if that's you and you're in the jungles and you know there is somebody out there, you may not see them, but you know that somebody is out there to get you and you got all the gear and you're protected, but what is your attitude as you trudge through the jungle? Man, we're, we're, we have, we, this is awesome, Reed. This is cool. We're so stinking bored. You know what? We figured out a way to play canasta as we walk. And we're laughing. We're yucking it up. Oh, by the way, we've been checking our Facebook account with our cell phones. They didn't have them back in Vietnam. I know. Roll with me. They didn't have them back then. Okay. But we're checking our you know, Facebook. We're goofing off. You know what? We've got our little tablet and we're playing you know, Candy Crush or whatever the latest thing is. I don't know what it is. You know, we're laughing, yucking. We've got our little party favorites, those things you pull. <laughs> if you actually did that, what would happen to you? <laughs> you'd be, you would somebody be crushed, right? You'd be dead meat. And this is why I see in the scripture: Christians, stop being lazy with your brain. Stay sharp. Keep alert. This is not a game. Somebody is out there every day, whether you see him or not, to get you, to get you to sin. And here it is with the disciples, Jesus, dealing with some serious spiritual warfare going on here. And he's pouring out his heart to God. His mind is on the things of the Father. And his heart demonstrated that by submission to the Father's will, not his own. He says, you guys, you couldn't even stay alert for one hour, man. Right? And I'm telling you, it's not just during that time. We need to have, if you will, an early spiritual a warning system. We need to be on the lookout for the slightest sign of, whoa, 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 where's my brain going? No, 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 no. I'm not even going there. You got these, they, they, did you know they actually pay people? Can you believe this? They pay people to be in a forest on top of this big giant cabin on these stilts just to watch for fires. How many of you guys would like to have that job? You know what I'm saying? You just, all day, you watch for fires. That's all you do. That's all you do. You just look around 
and you just, for the slightest thing of smoke, right? Why? Because the whole premise, obviously in the forest industry, is it's easier to put out a small fire when, at the first signs of smoke than it is when it's like, hey, look, the half the hillside's in flames, right? And so they will pay, it's so valuable, they will pay somebody to look for the slightest, that's our attitude. We don't, and, and how many times as Christians do we get burned and fried in sin and all we deal with like, hey, how did I get in the midst of this flaming hillside? Oh, it's like, well, wait, wait a second. How did it even get that far? Weren't you alert? Weren't you paying attention? Where were you at the first signs of smoke? Why did you even allow that into your brain in the first place? Why didn't you shut it off? Why didn't you go to God in prayer? Why didn't you get your mind back on the things of God? If we're going to win, we need to have that same mentality. We have to stay alert. You've got to keep watch. This is serious. Because as soon as you let your guard down, bang, he's out there uh, to get you. The second way is not to stay sharp. The second way, if you can read this, you're talented. <laughs> the second way is this is common sense, folks. Just stay away. Okay, just stay away from it. Why are you messing with this? Second Peter, turn there. Let's take a look at that. And uh, this is what I see what's going on with a lot. Okay, uh, Second Peter chapter two. Let's take a look. If you find First Peter, what do you do? Hang right. Second Peter chapter two. And uh, let's take a look here. And uh, so he talks about this. And um, verse seven here, verse seven and eight says there, and he, he just mentions this passage. He mentions a little nugget. Of course, you want to go back to Genesis if you want to get more of what's going on with Lot. Lot and Abraham, and of course the relationship going there, and then they both went their own separate ways, right? And God blessed them both so much that there wasn't enough in the, where they were at to you know, take care of all their sheep and stuff. So, so Abraham uh, gave Lot, being a godly guy, gave him the first choice, and so Abraham takes the best, you know, but God still blesses Abraham and whatever. And so that's what happened to him. But listen to what he says here, okay? And uh, so, because Lot, he went into the plains over there near Sodom, okay? And so he just mentions this here in the passing here, and uh, verse 7, and uh, here's what he says. And if he rescued Lot, a what? A righteous man who was what? Distressed. Okay? The, the idea is with like continual torture. Okay? He was distressed by the filthy lies of lawless men. Uh, for that righteous man living among them day after day was, what's the word he uses there? Tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he, listen, he what? Saw, that's your eyes, and what? Heard. Okay? And again, if you understand what's going on here, I think that uh, uh, Lot's problem was uh, he was uh, uh, unfortunately uh, made an a unfortunate choice. And uh, his first choice was, oh, that looks pretty good uh, outside of Sodom. Okay? In that area there. And uh, it's not going to be too bad. You know, I'm still over in the plains. Okay, in the general area, there's a lot of good grass here for my sheep, and it should be too bad. To, I, I probably shouldn't even be headed in that direction in the first place, but yeah, I'm still outside. Well, if you read the scripture, the next thing you know, where's Lot? Yeah, he might have started outside in the plains, but where was he next time? When the angels came. He's inside the city gates. Now he's involved in that community, and he's living in the community. What? And so Peter brings this little nugget out, and he says, listen, this guy was what? He was tormented. His righteous soul was tormented. He was in this wicked environment. And here's the point. Hey, I don't know. Wouldn't it have been easier just to stay away? Because I thought about this one day. I was like, wait a second. Did anybody twist Lot's arm and make him stay there? I mean, at the first sign when he gets there, 
I don't know, maybe he had to go in for some supplies and he got sucked into it. I don't know, you know, necessarily. Okay. But, and he saw what was going on in that wicked city. Why did he say, I'm out of here. I'm going to go choose another hill. I'm, in fact, I'm getting, I'm getting the furthest away I can from here. This is a horrible temptation. Why would I sit here and torment myself with all this stuff that I'm seeing and I'm hearing? I was like, oh, oh. but he didn't. He got sucked into it. Now, this is what we talked about last time, and I, I like this scriptural example. I think the common sense thing is, when you see something wicked, when you hear something wicked, stay away. Don't play with it. We're going to get to that in a second. Stay away from the thing. I'm telling you folks, we talked about this last time. I, I counseling people all the time, sin and lust and this, and I can't help. I, I'm telling you what, you want 80% of your stuff to go down? Then get rid of this one thing. Stop watching so much TV. Because TV puts out things to see and puts out things to hear. But what is on it now? Junk. Oh, you're being legalistic. You're one of those crazy fundamental Christians. <laughs> I'm more li- I call it common sense. You having troubles with temptation? Stay away from the thing. What is on there that you see and hear that is glorifying, honoring of God and keeps your mind on the things of Christ? How is that legalistic? I call it common sense. Right? I'm not, I'm not saying you'll chuck it out. I'm not saying you'll it, whatever, because media, if we use media for God, okay, I'm not saying you can't watch a movie, but by and large, just the hour after hour after hour after hour of what? Filth. And then you shut it off and you wonder why your brain is thinking about filth. It's self-inflicted torture. Why are we doing this? How about the first sign? I like what one guy said. He says, you know what? How about we do a new rule? The first time that you're watching a show on TV and they uh, show an ill-clad person, man or woman, whatever, you have a rule up, shut it off for two hours. All right, so you wait your two hours, turn it back on. He says, how about if you also had with that the first time that you saw somebody glamorizing drugs uh, or alcohol abuse and things of that nature, you're going to shut it off for two hours. I see, you wait your two hours. Or you shut it back on. He said, and then you also had a rule that any time that you see uh, anybody uh, uh, glamorizing violence or things of that nature or anti-Christian stuff that denigrates and blasphemes God, shut it off for another two hours. He said, if we actually institute that rule, how much would we watch? He never gets turned on. So then that's his point. Then why are we doing it? Why are we distressed with sin, thoughts of sin, temptation? Why, why are we tormenting ourselves with something that we see and hear that pulls us away from Jesus? has nothing to do with legalism. How bad do you want to f- fulfill the command, be ye holy as I am holy? Shut it off, right? This is the whole, this is, how much time? We ain't got much time. You know what actually started the video library that I have in my office, which eventually started the video ministry with Get a Life? The whole thing started was I was wiped out, tired, running crazy, uh, working full-time, going to school at night full-time, doing internships full-time, just got married. I think that's full-time. Yes, it is. It was like four jobs. In my, although marriage is not a job. Anyway, so I'm just like, whoo. And there are times, i got to admit, it's nice to just relax and just take a brain freeze, Right? You know, right? I was so sick and tired of every time you got whatever or even tried to rent something back in the days when you used to actually rent stuff at a video store. Uh, there's just, just a bunch of junk. And so I started scouring the internet. And there's got to be some decent entertainment out there that doesn't you know, glorify this baloney. I, I'd, I'd like to sit down and just relax, but I'm sick and tired of being tormented by this junk. 
And that's what actually started. And then I started to amass such a large video library that on Wednesday nights at another pastor in Northern California, people would come into my office after the Wednesday night study and start checking out media in my library, in my own personal library. And I had video and audio and books. And what I noticed was a trend. Uh, hardly anybody would check out a book. People don't like to read nowadays. Some of the commuters would check out the audio library that I have. But everybody wanted video. And then all of a sudden, I just woke up one day. It's like, hey, we got to start recording video. That's the whole reason why the whole thing started. It wasn't some giant master plan, right? It was to stave off a different direction. Let The enemy is using the media to torment people, to distress them with sin 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How about we Christians take the same technology and use it for God? That's the whole premise of the media ministry. But let's move on. The third thing is you need to stop delaying. Okay? And this is what I see going on. This kind of backs up with stay away. Okay, the first uh, chance that you get to, oh no, looky that, what I see in here, don't delay. Because if you delay, I think you're going to end up like a lot. Open your Bibles quickly to 2 Timothy 2. Let's take a look at that. 2 Timothy 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it just simply says this. is Paul obviously talking to young pastor Timothy, giving him some great uh, ministry tips and things that he's going to encounter uh, as a young man preparing in service to the Lord and, and serving the Lord. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, verse 22, he's talking about, uh, in the context before that, he's talking about how you know, your life needs to be uh, reserved for God for noble purposes, is the context. Okay. In fact, let's grab that, verse 20. In a large house there are, are articles... Not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he's going to be an instrument for what? Noble purposes. Made what? Holy and what? Useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Well, how are you going to stay that uh, useful, uh, holy vessel for God? What's the very next verse in the context? Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So what he basically says there, he says, listen, at the first sign, okay, what, what different reality could Lot have had? Okay, first of all, he probably didn't make the best choice and even put himself in the vicinity of Sodom, okay? But somewhere along the lines, he actually entered the city for whatever reason, whatever justification, and instead of doing what he says here, flee, get out of there, run, go the other way, he apparently began to rationalize. I don't know what was going on. I guess maybe we'll find out one day in heaven, okay? But this is what we need to do. When we see temptation coming, and I'm telling you, we talked about this before. If you're going to master temptation, you better master your thought life. Because that's where James says it starts. It's conceived. Where? In your mind. And what you allow in your eyes and ears starts to dictate your mind. Although I think sometimes it could be the old man and it certainly could be spiritual issues. But pay attention to your mind. Because after you get it into your mind, you make a decision on it. You make a decision to continue to chew on that thought or to discard that thought. If you continue to chew on that thought, James says it's going to conceive sin. You're going to give birth to sin. So stop it before it gets anywhere. And at the first sign of temptation, you need to shut it off. You need to flee. Get out of there. Don't flirt with it. Flee. Get out of there. That instructor used this analogy. He says, listen, what are you trying to do? Impress God or something? He says, okay, so you got a problem with drinking alcohol. All right. First of all, the last thing you'd want to do is be like a, a, a lot. You know, I'm, I'm still, you know, getting my wings, you know, so to speak. I'm still kind of growing into this 
of being a, a stronger Christian. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still getting there. Um, so you know what I'm going to do? One of my major things I'm still working on is, uh, you know, getting drunk and stuff. And so um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rent an apartment right next to Joe's Tavern. <laughs> why would you do that? Just get, why? Hello? You know, maybe when, you know, you're at that point where really God has completely removed this thing. It's not a temptation to you anymore. But why? You know what I'm going to do? I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm going to, in fact, I'm just going to show how strong I am as a Christian. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Joe's Taverns. I'm going to buy a fifth of whiskey and I'm going to bring it into my house and put it in the cupboard just to demonstrate that I don't have a problem with this. That's what I'm going to do. What? Why'd you, what? You know what I'm going to do? See, this isn't good enough. Because I have to demonstrate to you guys just how powerful of a Christian I really am. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what I'm going to do is because it's in the cupboard, I can't see it. Right? I'll forget about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it out of the cupboard. I'm going to put it right there on the counter every day, all day long. And when you tell me in my house, I'm going to walk by that thing just to prove I don't have a problem. No, that's not good enough. Because the cap's still closed and I can't even smell it. Right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the cap off so that the air in the house will smell like alcohol. And, and I'm going to demonstrate to Reed that I have no problem with whiskey. Now, here's what I'm going to do. See, because that's not enough. Okay? Because, yeah, I can smell it, right? But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the cap off. I'm going to pour a little bit in the cap. Okay? And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my finger. Okay? And I'm going to dip my finger. And just the tip of my tail. Just the tip of my tail. Yeah. Go, 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 and you're done. And then you go to the pastor's office, Pastor, I can't believe it. I can't get over this sin. And I just get, why didn't you flee? You're flirting with it. Why did you go next to Joe's Tavern? Why did you even bring it into your house? Why didn't you flee? See, that's what we do. We flirt with temptation. Right? The first time you see something or hear something, TV, oh, can I tell you something? Let's go to Midland. How about people's conversations? Right? I, what I've learned over the years, it seems like the acceptable sin in the church is gossip. Have you noticed that? Of course, we couch it in Christian phrase. Now, this isn't gossip. I'm only telling you this so you can pray for brother so-and-so. You liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? You just make it, well, no, it's gossip. Right? Keep your mouth shut. Pray for them. You don't need to air it out. Okay? But what happens is you get ungodly conversations, not just television. That could be at workplace, could be out in the community, whatever. People's mouth can lead you sideways, right? That's why the scripture even says, don't even tell dirty, filthy jokes. Don't even go there. Why are you doing that? Why? Because when you hear that, it goes into your where? In your brain. And you start thinking about that. And guess what? Here goes the process of sin. It's all in your brain. It starts in your mind. So if you see something, it starts to come into your mind through what you see or hear wherever it's at. Run. Flee the evil desires. Run, don't rationalize, exit, don't make an excuse. Flee instead of flirt. Now, that brings to the fourth one that you need to do. This all kind of rolls in together, I say, is you need to spring clean. Okay, this is kind of like the whiskey analogy there. Spring clean. Okay, open your Bibles to Hebrews 12. Okay, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12. And... Uh, Let's take a look at the need to spring clean. Okay? Spring clean. Hebrews 12 says this. Uh, Therefore, okay, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Wait a second. You know, we talked about this before. Uh, isn't that an interesting phrase in the scripture? 
uh, when you read, especially in the Old Testament, in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. They were doing this in the eyes of the Lord. God's in the eyes. Isn't that wild? Because I think sometimes when we uh, are tempted to sin, we don't really take it serious because we forget about God's omnipresence. He's there the whole time. And so what we do in the dark, God sees in the dark, you know, in the eyes of the Lord. And so he's saying, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, you know, we're on camera, so to speak. Did you know that? Hey, that'll curb your behavior. But see, we conveniently get that out of the mind. He says, uh, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So therefore, guess what? Let us throw off everything. Okay, that what? Specifically, it's not talking about clothes, praise God. Throw off everything that what? Hinders and the specifically what? Sin that so easily entangles. Okay, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay, it's what he's talking about there. So the sin that easily entangles. He says, if you don't want to keep getting entangled in sin, what do you do? Throw it off. Get rid of it. Back to the whiskey analogy. Why did you even bring that into your house? All right. Back in the day, Christians, at least two different times, my wife and I, you just, maybe it's a lot thing. You just rationalize or your standards go down or you don't think it's a big deal, whatever it is. My wife and I, two different times, had to go through and I was convicted as a spiritual leader of the home. My wife and I had to go through our home and I went through and started picking up and picking out DVDs, VHS, anything that if Jesus came to my house, I would not show him this. We loaded him up in a box, took him in a trash can. You think we would have done that right the first time? I had to do it two times. Right? It's so easy to rationalize. What happens is you bring this stuff into your home. And he says, listen, it's bad enough that the enemy's out there trying to get us to sin. Why would you acquire stuff around you to entangle you even more? And so to me, what I learned is sometimes you need to do some spring cleaning. Right? Get rid of this stuff. Now, we know that out in the world, I can't control what people put on billboards. I can't control just driving around, especially in Las Vegas, and there's all kinds of yuck, right? I I, I can't control what uh, Hollywood puts out, per se, okay? So, but what I can control is looking at it, right? I don't, right? So, but, but that's out there in the world, Right? So that's enough to have to deal with that. I can't control at the workplace or at Walmart what people are talking about and their sinful conversations or whatever. So it's bad enough to have to put up with that. Why would I want to bring this into my home? My home should be paradise. My home should be ah, the place of respite, the place of peace, the place that I can run back and say, Whoo, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. You come here, your mind is on Christ. Why would I take the one spot that I do have control over and fill it with sin to easily entangle me? Oh, you're being legalistic. You're one of them fundamental Christians. No, I'm not. It's called common sense. Why would I do that? How bad do you want it? I say all the time in counseling, how bad do you want it? Then change. The height of insanity is to do the same things over and over and over and over again and expect different results. You're sick and tired of sin. You're sick and tired of being. God has given us all the resources by the power of His Spirit to say no to any sin. Paul says in Romans 6, we are no longer slaves to sin. But we become our own worst enemy. And there's practical things that we can do. As the Scripture says, just get rid of the stuff. Don't go there. Don't flee with it. Don't flirt with it. Get out of the vicinity. Don't even mess with it. 
And guess what? Things will turn around like that. How bad do you want it? Then change. And sometimes you've got to spring clean. Uh, uh, to me, it's, it's like a, we, we always deal with a, a, a garden full of weeds. And again, we don't back up the train and go, well, wait a second. I didn't plant a garden of weeds. Anybody ever do that? Honey, let's go to Home Depot. I need to get me a whole bag of weeds. I love weeds. This is awesome. I love this stuff. Who invented this stuff? A weed, right? No, you go and get some flowers or some per, uh, perennials or whatever. Anybody even know what the difference is between a perennial and an annual or whatever? I don't know. I just plant the things if wifey wants them, whatever. So anyway, so anybody love this desert landscape? I love it. Just say no to lawnmowers. This is, you have no idea what it was like on the East Coast. But anyway, but anyway. <laughs> so anyway, so you're out there, you're planting whatever flowers or something to go in the rock garden out here in Vegas, right? And, uh, but you don't buy weeds, but even in the rocks in Vegas, what pops out of the ground? I didn't buy that. I didn't put that, where'd you come from? Now, here's what I noticed, even here in Vegas with rock landscape. It's a whole lot easier getting rid of the weeds as soon as you see the thing. Because it doesn't just stay one. They are truly from the evil one. They multiply. And next thing you know, if you don't get rid of that first one, then here comes this one, and then here comes that one, and then here comes this one, and then here comes that one. Next thing you know, it becomes this big giant chore that takes two days, a whole weekend, to clean up the weeds. And I remember one time, I kid you not, this was back in California, and uh, my first battle uh, with dealing with this, we had this uh, this backyard. I had, I, it was only a little tiny strip, whatever. I said, yeah, I'm gonna, I miss having a garden. I grew up in Kansas, you know, I don't have a garden. I really couldn't plant anything in there, so I said, yeah, I'll do the flower thing. I just I did. I went to Home Depot and I got the mixed flower thing, whatever. I don't know what it was, and just whatever. And it was kind of cool, little flower thing. Next thing you know, my first invasion was slugs. Have you have you, you had to battle slugs? Yes, I have it rough in life. <laughs> so it was like, what, what are you doing, man? You're eating all my stuff, right? And so I actually, but I didn't even know they made this stuff. Do you know they make slug pellets? They make things just to kill slugs. Don't think of anything in America. You know what I'm saying? So I went there and bought those things, and I carefully placed them around these little pellets, right? Okay, the problem was, did you know, it didn't look too bad on my white rocks, okay, and uh, until water hits it, and they swell up. And then it looked like some animal, or I'll just leave it at that. It's like, what? <laughs> so I had to get rid of all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, here comes all these weeds, right? Well, I got this crazy busy schedule, right? And so I'm sitting there, okay, I'll get to it the next day. Or no, I'll get to the next day. And so that guy's, oh man, the weeds are getting, oh, here comes a whole bunch. And then pretty soon, it was like all weeds. I can't even see the flowers. I know they're in there somewhere. And then I did. I had to take a whole Saturday and I had to be really careful because I don't want to uproot the flowers and stuff like that. Whatever. I finally got it all clean. And I sat there, I kid you not, and I didn't hear a voice or nothing. And then all of a sudden what starts playing through my brain is the tape about sin. This is what happens when you don't take sin seriously. And you need to spring clean. It's a lot easier to deal with sin when it's just one little thing coming at you. Pluck it, get rid of it, fling it away. But if you bring this one thing into your house, this one sin, this one weed, and then you allow another one to come in, and then pretty soon you become used to having weeds around, and the next thing, your once vibrant walk with Jesus turned into a pile of sin. Wouldn't it have been easier at the first sign of sin or weed, you got rid of that thing? That's what God was showing me right there. But we don't take it serious. And so that's what Hebrews says. Hey, listen, get rid of it, man. Sling it away. It so easily entangles you. It's a, you're going to grow a crop of weeds, a crop of sin. Just get rid of it now. Deal with it while it's small. Okay? Spring clean 
is what we need to do. All right, we got some other ones there. Uh, certainly the scriptural example, Matthew 6, if you want to write this down, is you need to speak up in prayer. Isn't that interesting, that example there? Matthew 6, Jesus says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Isn't that neat? That we need to have a mindset that even this God, I know what's coming. I'm not walking around in a state of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, but I know that tempt- God, please, I just pray, give me that mentality. Is this part of our prayer before we get out of the house today? That God, I'm going to be bombarded by sin, but Keep me in that alert status. Keep me in that uh, ability to, 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 to say no to sin. Are we even praying about that? To me, if we prayed in advance before we even left the house or started the day, that's an attitude uh, that is uh, uh, being dependent upon God. That's an attitude that is alert. And so we see Jesus in the prayer, okay, saying, and lead us not into temptation. I see the second half of that, uh, that's common sense with that issue, is um, have you ever, this dawned on me one day, has it ever occurred to you that when you're being tempted to pray? What's usually what we do? Ah, I'm being tempted, oh no, and the battle starts and the war, it's like, how about just pray? God, please get my mind back on the things of you, and I just thank you, or just do whatever. Isn't that wild? It's like we don't think of praying when we're being tempted. And why is that good? Because when you are being tempted, it starts where? In the mind. And when you pray, where's your mind? Back on the things of God. That's the antidote. Now that's coupled with the next one is you need to soak up scripture. Psalm 119, write that down. Okay, you need to soak up scripture. Psalm 119, with my whole heart I've sought you. Uh, verse 10 through 11, the whole psalm's awesome with this. Uh, you, uh, I- I- inquiring for you, yearning for you. Oh, let me not wander or step aside either in ignorance or willfully from your commandments. Your word I have laid up in my heart that I might not get the answer wrong in the daily jeopardy column. No, what's the whole purpose of ingesting the scripture? That I might not sin against God. So not only did it ever dawn on you, the reason why we Christians do what we do, obviously not just in prayer, can actually help when you're being tempted, but so is soaking up Scripture. Right? Jesus, Matthew 4, we don't have time to get into. Every single time when he was tempted of the devil, how did he respond? Every single time he came back and says, no, the Scripture says, the Word of the Lord says, this is what God says. And at the end, what did the devil do? He left. Has it ever dawned on us that when we are being tempted to not only pray, but we have soaked up scripture so we know how to counteract this? No, I'm not going to do that. God says this. God says this. The scripture says this. The scripture says that. And you know what? Guess what? They go away. Wherever that temptation is coming from, the world, the flesh, or the devil, they go away. Right? Okay, now this is where I want to get to, and we'll close on this one, is uh, I call it just being steadfast in faith. Okay, turn real quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is like a rocky verse, man. This is awesome. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Love it. Have you guys ever studied, of course, Paul's life? As we all know, Paul, he got to stay at the Hilton. Man, he had an awesome going. As a, he got to stay in uh, those jacuzzi palaces that you hear some of those traveling guys, ministers get to stay in with all due respect. No due respect. Uh, that's false teaching. And uh, they get to abuse all that stuff. And they have this lush, lavish lifestyle. And, and Paul, he had it going, man. If only we had the faith of... No. If you read through Paul's life, man, he was beaten. He was tortured. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. He went without clothes. I think it's what 2 Corinthians 12 talks about. Paul's bad day. <laughs> it's a bad day. 
And uh, he went through all kinds of stuff. Now listen to his attitude, man. He's going through hard times, okay? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 9, man. Here's what he says. Listen, he says, we've got the, well, verse 7, grab the context. We got this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing surpassing power is from God, not from us. And listen, we are hard-pressed on every side, but what? We're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not destroyed, okay, is what he's talking about there. In fact, the J.B. Phillips translation, uh, with a paraphrase with the Greek there, he literally says, he says, we may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out, okay? And this is really what I think that the enemy's greatest goal, at least I've learned, my synopsis, is the enemy's greatest goal is not just to get us to sin. It's after we sin, is to get us to sit down on the battlefield of life and not get up and serve Jesus Christ again. The scripture tells us what to do when you sin. What are you supposed to do? Hamalageo, you come in agreement with what it is to God. He already knows. Confess is the word there. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and he might, no, he will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, right? And so we stand on that. So believe it or not, nobody's saying that, well, you're like preaching that you have to have a license to sin. You know how ridiculous that is? Anybody ever need a license to sin? No, this isn't a license to sin. Here's the good news. That when you sin, what do you do? You confess it and what? You stand right back up. You're perplexed. You're getting beat from all sides. Paul's talking about here. Life in general, certainly. I would say even with temptation. You're beaten. It's coming at you. This, this. You might be knocked down. You're ah, but you get back up. Righteous may fall, uh, uh, but they get back up. Right? And we get back up, not on our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If I blow it, I confess it. Lesson Christian, get up and start following God again. I'm telling you what I've learned is the enemy, his greatest tactic isn't just to get us to sin. Because that happens in a moment of time. The tactic is to get you to doubt that God can't use you now or you're not somehow worthy. We were never worthy in the first place. But He makes us worthy by His righteousness. That's why we can serve Him. And stop, I like what one guy said, stop calling God a liar. If He says He's faithful and He's just and He will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, stop calling Him a liar. And when you sit there and you act like, oh, poor me, that God can't use me. In essence, whether you realize it or not, you're calling God a liar. He said it, I didn't. You should enjoy it, get back up and keep moving forward. Right? But I'm telling you, because the enemy, I've seen Christians sin. Okay? And I have seen them spiritually not go one step further. I'm not talking just days. I'm not talking just weeks or months. I'm talking years. And the enemy has so warped their thinking... That somehow that they're, they've blown it too big this time. God can't use me. No, you don't understand, man. I, excuse me? Yes, I do understand. You don't understand the scripture. Have you ever, and we'll close with this. God has never used perfect people. Have you noticed that? Read the Bible, Old New Testament. He's never used perfect people. And the enemy will come in and say, well, see, you blew it. You're not perfect, so you can't serve Jesus. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Let me give you some examples. Moses stuttered. 
Uh, David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos' only training was in fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Timothy had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. That's a big problem. Uh, John was self-righteous. Uh, Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer and so was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam, she was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah, he was depressed and suicidal. Elijah got burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth, people would say. Martha was a worrywart. Mary was lazy. Samson had long hair. He was a rocker dude. And, and Noah got drunk. So the point is, listen, if God can use, here's the good news for you and I. If God can use an adulterer, a liar, even a murderer, don't you think he could use us? And this is why I'm all back down now, back to verse 16. Don't be deceived. I'm truly convinced that the enemy doesn't just want us to sin. It's to get us to sit there in the battlefield of life and trick us into thinking, I can't get up and serve Jesus. That's a lie. He uses us, remember this phrase, in spite of us. Okay? If God, listen, you don't understand, Pastor Billy, the sins I've committed. Hey, I don't care. Stand on God's word. If he says he's just and faithful to forgive you, take it to heart. Why do you resist such great news? Get back up and start moving forward again. Oh, but you understand. This one, I don't care what, listen. Did you confess it? Yes. Then get up and start serving Jesus again. This is what I think he says. We, yes, of course, we need to understand. Verse 15, the process of how sin works. Uh, when and how and why. And then even today, we need to stay sharp. We've got to stay away from this stuff. Don't flirt with this. Stop delaying. Uh, spring clean. Uh, uh, hey, speak out in prayer. What a concept. Soak up scripture. But listen, if you do sin, Christian, don't call God a liar. Confess it. Get back up and start serving him again. That's good news. And I think that's what James is saying. Listen, because listen, you're going to be out there even as you, even if you are a true born again Christian, you, you haven't failed this acid test. But as Christians, we're going to blow it. But the good news is God's made provision for all of our sins. Don't blame it. The context says, don't deny it. God sees in the dark. The good news is you own up to it. I confess it. Truly with a contrite heart. You get back up, there should be sweetness and repentance. And you start serving Him again. And you get to that point, I, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, I'm not going to let anybody, any person, any circumstance, even my own sin, dictate my walk or service to Jesus. You do that, and as He says, you're out there in the world, that's what I want. That's why we're putting out this acid test. Because the last thing I want is the absolute opposite of that going out in the world. You could give a rip about sin. You don't own up to your sin. Who cares about sin? You have, you have a rotten, you just, okay, God, will, oh, he'll forgive me. I don't care. And nothing ever changes. He said, you better be careful. Red flag, red flag. Have you truly received Christ as your Savior? Because your attitude towards sin and temptation could tell the story. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. 
And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. 
Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent His one and only Son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive His pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.